0: Hey guys, welcome back. BGCKR here. We're back with our weekly Q&A videos. This is Season 8, Episode 38. Uh, As we mentioned, sometimes if you're on YouTube right now, links in the description to get this on all the major podcasting platforms. uh, Or most of them. I shouldn't say all, because I don't know about all. But a lot of major podcasting platforms anyways. Um, Getting into... Maybe just Just
1: before we get into I just, I breathe. (laughs) Very aggressively. Um, No, let me just point out. So what you're watching, what you're going to watch is the two crystals. So we can get to the final crystal and the prize. Um, If you're not interested in spoilers, don't look at how long this video is because I'm really loving the pixel three. It's super snappy. Um, The strategy isn't any different. The characters are the same. The gear loaded is the same. And our approach to how to get through phantom so quickly is the same. But instead of um, the best time being just under 12 minutes and, you know, averaging somewhere between, you know, on a good really good run, 15 minutes to 20 something,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the average is less than 20 minutes. Um, and the fastest run now, I've had another fast run that's under 11 minutes. Yeah. So to me, that's pretty darn spectacular. Um So, yeah, I'm loving the Pixel 3. Still Android 9, though, so it doesn't really help us with the glitches, but it really is helping with the play, and it is wicked fast. And that's going to be related to one of the questions later. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there we go. Uh, And so now getting into the questions, I
0: guess, our first question of the week comes from Cinemac, and they say, Do you know why the random
1: spike in cheaters? So it's interesting, right? So I think part of it is that whole idea of you're just sometimes you just notice stuff more when you're you're looking for it mm-hmm. um, and sometimes it actually is more and sometimes it may not be more but whoever's got control of it is letting you see more. Yeah. I think it's a combination of things. So in the earlier sort of life cycle of injustice mm-hmm. um, the devs were monitoring more and so the, I think they cared about the game more and you maybe saw less cheaters even though there were more people playing. So like when you have a, a higher Sort of number of players playing. I'm thinking in my mind, I wanted to say critical mass, but mm-hmm. it, I mean, we see this in so many different things, like in the comments when we get like really bad trolls like or downvotes for our videos. Yeah, the more popular we were, there was just more of it, and it wasn't just an absolute increase, but it proportionally was more. Yeah, um, and so I think in this later life cycle, there's probably fewer cheaters, mm-hmm. but. The devs are also monitoring less and doing less about the intervention or waiting until the end of the season.
0: Yeah. The, yeah. The other thing, too, is that. If you're looking at cheated accounts, right, it's not like a real account where if you have three people at the top of the leaderboard, they've all spent a huge amount of time doing it, right? If you're looking at cheaters, if somebody knows how to cheat effectively to the top of the leaderboard, I don't actually know what the process is. I don't know how much work that is. But I'm assuming, well, I'm not assuming, I'm 100% sure that it's less work than getting it without cheating, (laughs) right? That's true. Because if it was more work, you know, there'd be no point. And And that relates to the
1: next question, too.
0: Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, if somebody's cheating, I, I'd i have to make up a number for how long it takes. But let's say it takes, like, five hours to, like, get an account, like, cheated up to the top. And it probably doesn't, right? But, yeah, you yeah. know, I have no clue what the actual process is. So it could take anywhere from, you know, 20 minutes to, you know, hours. Yeah. Uh, one cheater, if they don't name their accounts so that they're clearly in a theme, could be, like, all of the cheated accounts that you're seeing, theoretically. That's true. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, it might be a random spike in cheaters or it might be one person who is, um, it's a, and it's just a random spike in the number of cheated hours, right. Where one person right. is spending more time. Right. Uh, maybe one person spends like the amount of time that, you know, we're playing in a week, uh, just hacking accounts and right. popping them into online multiplayer. And you would see, you know, a very similar thing as, you know, three cheaters each, you know, spending however long it takes to get one account up there.
1: Yeah. I mean, that, that's a really excellent point, right? Like, what it looks like may not represent actual people. Yeah. And so all it does is take – even though there's probably – lo- not probably. There's definitely a lot fewer people playing now than there were before. It just takes one person to really shove in your face, oh, there's a whole bunch of cheating going on. Mm-hmm. And it's totally random. Like, if yeah. that guy happens to be interested this week, then you see a bunch of it. And the the follow-up, the, the crawlery, the, or not the crawlery, the, the, the related point that affects what you see is how much the, the devs are monitoring things mm-hmm. and cleaning it up so that you don't actually see it. So yeah. it's quite possible that there were fewer cheaters then. It's also quite possible that we just didn't get to see it. And I guess we'll never know. Yeah. So we, we have no clue how many cheaters there are, and we have no clue how many cheaters there were. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's not that there's anything special. It's not like there's anything happening with injustice that we're aware of that would make it more um, attractive to to flex your hacker muscles mm-hmm. during this game. I think you know it, it goes to the fact that we're still a channel playing this game that's not getting a lot of support that hasn't had an update in a long time. Yeah. Um. So why are there so many injustice videos from us every week? Well, <laughs> no. You know what I mean though. Like it's that yeah. it, all it takes is one person who's interested and all of a sudden it'll feel like there's still lots of stuff happening yeah 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 so i
0: think that's that uh our next comment comes from noah frank l and they say we like you mentioned this is related to us talking about um spending a lot of time uh, could you guys discuss what you think the theoretical limit to battle rating in a single multiplayer season i know that scopos has the highest legit with 30 million on ios but i think it can go higher I recently got 24.8 million and I definitely felt with more recharges I could have gotten over 30 million. So this is an interesting question, right? Cuz I I hear it and I instantly go, "Oh, how ridiculous can we get?" right? And you did yeah. the math on this I, one. I, I was I, thinking about the math that you actually did I it. I did. And
1: you've got to make a few assumptions. Part of it is what are the ground rules, right? Do you get to sleep? And that sounds silly, but it's not like the. Any kind of question like this, you have to have some basic, basic assumptions. Because if you, cause in, in the absolute kind of limit, I guess it, you'll be limited by how fast you can do it. Um, and yeah. we were able, I think, using just straight energy recharges and nonstop and not having to change out your team or your gear loadout. Mm-hmm. I think sustainable, which we've sh- shown really um, last week in our Q&A video where we did um, seven ultimates. So mm-hmm. seven ladders where the, it's a seven fight ladder with the maximum um, bonus points and maximum bonus. Yeah. Did that in just 36 minutes. Mm-hmm. I think if you allow for the fact that when you do it for a long standard period of time that you're going to potentially make mistakes and you might want to take bathroom breaks and you might want to eat a little bit, um, I think 40 minutes is a fair sort of sort of limit yeah. for what you can expect to sustain for a really long period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, So 40 minutes for uh, a seven ultimate run, max battle point team. Yeah. Uh, So 24 hours per day, 60 minutes in an hour, and seven days per week. Mm -hmm. And then you divide that by 40 minutes for every seven ultimates. You multiply it by the seven ultimates, and you multiply it by Mm -hmm. 56,000. You're looking at... The maximum is what? I had a number there. Did that change? Yeah,
0: and then you changed
1: it to 10% at some point. It was um, somewhere between 90 and 100 million. Hold on. 98 million. 98,784,000. I might want, have to go back and do the numbers again to check because it's 24. Yeah. Um, so the that's if you don't sleep, you don't eat, mm-hmm. you're rolling along at f- – Playing Full, constantly. Yeah. Playing constantly and doing nothing else.
0: Yeah, and you know, sort of your other option would be having trading off with people. If you live with a couple right. of people, right. you know, trading off or uh, you know, potentially making sure like you stay on a call for all the like handoffs and then you like sign out and sign into accounts so that um somebody's playing all the time. And so that's that's sort of the the theoretical limit is probably something around there and if you if you got lucky if you went faster right if you did this multiple times um you could probably you know pull your average under 40 minutes one of the times you did it if you actually had like a system to make this sustainable right about 100 million
1: i would say but you'd need teammates because think about it like this what what could you expect one person to do over a 24-hour period Eight hours. I mean, that seems like the, the, the sort of limit to human kind of, you know, like before you really sort yeah. of, before performance degrades mm-hmm. and your ability to actually do it deteriorates really Yeah, because
0: this is not a game that you can play as efficiently with a bot, I don't think. Right, right. Yeah, I think you need to have somebody on well, it. Well, you can tell by looking at the AI. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's that's sort of the theoretical like
1: cap is around, somewhere around 100 million, probably right. like just period. Right, right, right. Um, so if you were going to treat it like a full-time job, and that's eight hours a day, five days a week, uh, and the eight hours, I guess you could spread how you ever you want over the day, right? But I mean, that's 40 hours. You're looking at 23 and a half million. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you were going to, if you were looking at, say, the thirty 30 million, you're looking at eight hours per day for seven days a week. That's almost 33 million. Mm-hmm. So these are these are rough numbers, and
0: it would be interesting to see if anybody had a um, had a sort of different perspective on this.
1: Yeah, I guess I mean we've we've talked about this is a discussion that I I think I've gotten into on Reddit a few times where people make claims about fights and say. Um, I can do an ultimate in uh, three minutes, mm-hmm. and then they get interrogated a little bit. I said, "Well, you know, yeah, ultimates, seven fights." And they said, "Well," and then when they show the video, finally, they said, it's five fights. And says, "Well, you you said it was an ultimate." He mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, ultimates is is five fights." I said, no, it's <laughs> it's seven, and then they they don't do some of the early loading screens, and then it's you know all that, and then it turns out, well, they did five fights. From the the start of the first fight, not the low, any of the loading screens before, right until the end, and they can get it at just over three minutes. And then you realize, okay, so that's actually not such a big deal. Not only is it possible, but it's not even that big a deal because that's totally doable, right? Mm-hmm. You get a good run. It's it's um... so given the number of times that I've gotten into those kind of discussions, I'm I'm guessing that our number for how fast you can do it is not that far off. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty accurate. I mean, total respect for the guys who are willing to do it. I just don't know that I can actually sustain a life independent of that. If I had a week of vacation and I had really nothing else to do, I might be tempted. But again, because of all the hackers and the chance that in that particular season, you're going to put an effort effort and, and still not get either the glory of finishing or the badge. You can see we've got the badge for finishing third place at one week, mm-hmm. um, which is the – I think it's Black Adam's um, – take on the Shazam lightning bolt. Yeah. Um, but getting first is just, uh, I don't know. It just, it's a big, it's a big fight. Yeah. yeah especially yeah. if you might get hacked. Yeah. And it really puts it in perspective for me too. Right. So the, the one week I got, I can't remember how much, like, uh, I can't remember it was like five or was it 5 million? I don't Maybe remember. three We're around there. Like how much time I would have put into it when I look at the calculations now about what that was actually worth. I just can't bring myself to do it again. Yeah, if you're saying that you got five million, yeah, I can't, again. I can't remember. Maybe it was. Maybe it was closer to three million or something. It was somewhere in the. It was well, like less than half of ten. I know my my mind. I think ten is sort of the reasonable number that you you'd see people hit on a, a non-hacking kind of a number one
0: or non-somebody grinding as much as they humanly can because clearly. You know there are people who have legitimately got more that's the sort of dedication of the game i appreciate the the work to get all the way up there yeah, yeah. i think it's it's cool nowhere near that amount of time for either of us no, to play just no, that no. much back to back i mean we've accumulated that time but uh yeah we've got a lot of miles on that odometer we it has to be spread out i think that's the you know there's there's definitely different ways to come at this game right And I sometimes feel like the way that we come at it for the amount that we like get into it is pretty intense, right? So it's good to remember that there are still people who are out here grinding even harder than we are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sometimes. Although I think ours is sort of, we can't fall off the game and come back onto it the same well, way. Well,
1: that's the question that we get every once in a while, right? Like, how do you, uh, variations of it? How do you play this game? How have you been playing it for so long? How do you stay interested in it? Mm-hmm. I mean, there, and there's sort of variations on that kind of question, too, where on the one hand they say, well, how do you stay interested in it? And the other hand is, what the hell are you doing still playing it? Yeah. Um, which is funny because it's basically the same question. Yeah, and doing. our solution for staying engaged in the game is make a YouTube channel about it. Yes. But on top of that, it's the pacing. Like you were saying earlier, like, it's absolutely, like, if if we were playing more, I think I'd be burnt out, and I just would stop. I would drop it completely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely
0: find that with uh, with some games that you really love, if you get too into them, and you can just play it until it's not fun anymore. Yeah. That's uh, One Night Ultimate Werewolf, I found, quite a fun game. But me and my friends played it so much that <laughs> um, after a certain point, it was almost like we were following a script. There was only sort of two ways to do things which was um make it like there if it was a solvable game if there was enough information that if you came together and talked things through in the right way uh you could probably figure it out then we mostly would get it every time uh and so you'd need to inject enough confusion that it was never possible if people were lying which because it's werewolf people were lying it was never possible to be a hundred percent certain unless you happen to get some like weird stroke of luck and so we we hit a point where when it started out people were going wild and doing all sorts of things and every game felt different and then after a certain point games felt mostly the same because we knew sort of what made the most sense to do. Right, right.
1: Yeah, I guess the really good games, the really complex games don't let you, they have enough possibilities and permutations that you, you don't get to that point. Yeah. Where you know everything that's potentially going to happen mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be everything potentially that's going to happen with um, a rational actor like i think you know an example to me like that would be of chess where it feels like for people i guess who study it yeah. that a lot of the possibilities have been um sort of established
0: yeah that there's a lot of moves in which there's like a better response Right. Or even if there's a couple of responses that there's like there's a pretty sort of narrow possibility space. Right. Chess theoretically has like I don't know probably like trillions of moves. Right. I don't know right. how, how many orders of magnitude. Uh, but you know at any one moment for like a professional chess player, there's probably
1: way less that actually makes sense for them to. Yeah, to but do. if you if, if you assume rational actors. And that number drops, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's a big part of it, that if you you could do other stuff, Mm -hmm. but they would be weaker moves and somebody who's actually really um, experienced with chess would totally, like, destroy you.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because chess is one of those games and there's a decent number of games like that, which have enough complexity that... there, It's not just about making what the optimal move is, always. Uh, it really does matter how good the person you're playing against is, because that's what you're talking about is rational actors, right? Yeah. Uh, chess is a very different game if you're playing with somebody who doesn't know how to punish suboptimal moves. Right. So some moves, and it's the same with you know Injustice, right? It's about the meta. It's not just about your team. Right. It's about how your team interacts with uh, the average team that you face and then all the possible teams that you could face, right? Where if you're playing chess against somebody who, and you can make a move that theoretically somebody else who is really good at chess could make right. you really regret, uh, they might need to know something specific or be able to visualize something specific or look forward in enough turns to be able to actually, you know, make you regret it. And if you played it against a nor- an average chess player. Normal. Not normal. <laughs> I know, but you said, I heard you
1: yeah. I heard you start saying with the, um. Uh, but at, at different normal.
0: skill levels, right? right, right. Uh, the reaction to that move is going to be totally different. And right. I think that's one of those things that's really interesting where your skill level and your opponent's skill level almost makes you like renegotiate your relationship to the game that you're
1: playing oh yeah yeah absolutely that's a perfect way to put it yeah yeah no that's exactly what i was thinking that it will change right yeah i mean think about it like this if we were playing the ai versus playing a real person in these fights Mm -hmm. what a difference it would make in terms of our strategy because there's certain things that we wouldn't be able to get away with the same way
0: yeah and i think another place that you see a lot of that in a really interesting way is speedrunning games because I, I, you probably haven't watched much in terms of speedrunning,
1: and that's I not something not. you're interested in. Oh, I used but I was interested in, I used to play Goldeneye. Yeah. And there was a, se- a setting on it where you would get, um, certain ranks or recognitions mm-hmm. if you could finish the screen, the level within a certain time, like yeah. a time limit. And holy crap, there was one that was really short. I can't even remember because it's been so long. Yeah. I had to play it so many times. Mm-hmm. And it was, you had to not only know exactly what to do, you had to do it, execute it perfectly Yeah. to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So go ahead, sorry.
0: Well, GoldenEye speedrunning is really interesting because there was a thing, like the actual speedrunning community for GoldenEye, uh, there was a thing where if you look straight down or mm-hmm. really close to down, mm-hmm. um, it would have less textures rendered um, and it would make your game run smoother. Ooh. Um, so you, there, a bunch of professional uh, speedrunners quit the game. Um, when it was discovered because the best way to have world record times was to spend the entire speedrun just looking straight down and it was just like not fun for them anymore. But so that's what I'm talking about about renegotiating your relationship to the game, right? Is that like, you know, even within just what you're talking about is just like what GoldenEye as a game sets out for what they think, you know, a more dedicated player would do, but it's specifically thought of by the developers, right? Right, right, right. Um, and that's that's a totally different way of playing the game than just trying to like you know beat it, right, right. right. But then past that, when you look at speedrunning, so many games are unrecognizable in the speedruns. Right. Um, I I don't I'm not into speedrunning like playing them myself, but I watch every once in a while. Um, people do stuff. Uh, and there's like if you look at the Titanfall two world record speedrun for the single player. Um, I played Titanfall too, had a great time with it. Uh, and when I watch the speedrun, I, it doesn't, it almost doesn't look like the same game. Because they're just, they're, they're constantly moving so right. blisteringly fast. Right. And Titanfall is a game that is already kind of about speed. There's like a lot of wall running and navigation. So you already feel like you're kind of motoring when you play right. Titanfall. Uh, but when you, when you watch the speedrun, uh, like a level will start and it'll load in and, they'll like launch themselves into the like sky they'll like launch themselves across the room like the second the level starts and i'm just like i don't even like know what's happening um and so i think like a lot of video games i think are pretty good at making you renegotiate your relationship with the game and i think one game genre that is almost defined on that is uh idle games and clicker games hmm Um, because the way that it works, right, you're, you're sort of, you start off like one click is like one point, one unit, and then you get something that like doubles it or triples it or quadruples it. And, uh, there's, there's a huge sort of like exponential growth. And the way that a lot of them work with like the building systems on top of systems, uh, by the time you get to the end of it, you're, you're engaging with something entirely different from what you're engaging with when you started. Mm. And because clicker games tend to be lighter on like, Actual play mechanics. Right. um, And and have your own strategy. I mean, adding new layers of strategy is is one way that they make the game more interesting. Um, Or just even, like, adding whole, like, new systems on top of stuff. So you're constantly um, just doing stuff in a really different way. And some games keep it sort of narrow and tight. Some games make you do the same thing throughout, where you're always sort of looking at it through the same lens. Like, um, I played a little bit of Idle Champions of the Forgotten Realms. And that game is based off of doing quests and leveling up your guys. And so you, you know, are getting better gear and stuff. You're getting higher stats. But at the end of the day, the way that, you know, the sort of interface is constantly Mm. like you like plopping dudes down onto a board and fighting enemies. And Mm. there's, you know, strategy to that. That's um, sort of doing it a disservice to say that that's all it is. That's like the way that you interact with things is like leveling people up getting new stuff and then putting them out into the sort of the same thing. And then another game that I played, uh Incremental, which is this like pinball idle game is totally um based around you um going to these new layers and then the the Did you say pinball?
1: Yeah. That to me that would take away like the best part of pinball. Like if you were going to do it Oh, jeez, that's interesting.
0: Well, yeah. it's it's a really simple, like the pinball mechanics were really simple. Um and that's sort of the core to it. But um, the whole sort of, th- that's what I'm saying is that it really does make you interact with it in a totally new way over and over again, because um, the idea is that like a lot of idle games have you reset um, whatever you're doing, and then you get some sort of next tier up currency that you can use for permanent upgrades. And so there's there's resetting, um, and then there's some sort of permanent increase. And so incremental does it in a really interesting way where there's tiers, and each tier resets everything underneath it. So you have almost like a binary system, right? Where you mm-hmm. you get a bunch of upgrades in one tier, and then you roll over to the next one and reset the first one. And then you get some upgrades in the second tier that let you get to the point where you can reset the first tier again faster and over and over again. But the interesting thing is that the further in you get, um, the upgrades at the later levels um, are designed to automate processes at the earlier levels. So... Um, When you first do it, you're doing, um, hitting paddles and you're trying to hit the pins for points. Mm -hmm. And then you use points to upgrade. So one of the point upgrades that you can get, um, makes you, like, doubles your points every time you hit one of the bumpers. Um, and then another, uh, the other two upgrades at that level, um, give you, like, multipliers based off of your current score. Um, and your high score without the you know ball dropping, mm. um, and then you get to one of the later tiers, and the later tier will automatically spend your points for you um, on those upgrades, so that you no longer have to interact with that. And then there is other up- there's upgrades that like for example automatically hit the paddles for you, mm-hmm. um, so it's you know harder to lose, and you don't actually have to play the pinball game anymore. And then a later tier lets you automatically buy the upgrade that automatically buys the paddles, um, the paddle like flippers for you so that you don't even need to go and click okay. on the button to buy it. And so you're constantly um, going to the next tier up and then trying to automate everything at the bottom tier. So you sort of move to a level and, you know, you have to go through it a couple times, but then you get to that point. And then when you get to like the really sort of even higher tiers, all those automation upgrades go away. So you're constantly over and over again changing your relationship where it starts out you're playing a pinball game and then you're sort of playing like a resource management
1: game right where you're you're I, buying them the, and then you're don't automating that and then I, it sounds appealing i don't know if i'd like it at some point I, I think i'd like to find some sort of steady state with a game yeah and not if i was looking for something new i would be playing a different game mm-hmm. and the danger anytime it switches is that it becomes a game that you don't want to play it's not it's not
0: totally new because it, it sort of goes from a pinball game to a game that's more about resource management. It it sort of goes from a sliding scale from the start where you're just sort of playing pinball in this like really basic pinball arcade. And then you're moving more and more towards just sort of spending resources and um, like buying upgrades in the right order and stuff. Um,
1: But it's an interesting gamble on the parts of the developers, right? That you're going to be able to find creating one game that people can engage with is hard enough. Creating two Mm -hmm. is what you're essentially doing to maintain your audience I feel like the sort of
0: loop of idle games has been pretty well established. I think, like, idle games in a lot of ways, um, are games that pull most of the sort of gameplay out yeah. of games, yeah. and, you know, it, was like, it would be like Injustice if, like, the only thing that you could do was, like, send people out on missions, but there was a bunch of, like, layers of complexity of, like, collecting stuff, um and you know different idle games to have I've, we've talked about idle games before for sure but have different like layers of like how engaging yeah. like the basic sort of inputs are yeah. that sort of baseline playing but they I think they they work on sort of similar reward loops so I think a lot of them it's not as much of a bet as you think it is because okay. if you're going into it and you know it's an idle game you pretty much know what you're getting and right. it's right. different flavors of the same thing right. it's the same as like deck building card based roguelites um or roguelikes uh which you also probably don't have experience with at all but like so i i like them a lot you you go through and what it tends to be is that there's like a map that has like diverting paths and so you get to sort of plan chart your journey up chunks of the map right and you go i want to go to the shop at this point right so like i'm gonna fight a battle and then a battle and then like a mini boss and then a shop and it's all like the same kind of thing so you you have this sort of branching tree that converges on a boss yeah and then um, usually after each fight, but sometimes, you know, only at shops, there's there's some trigger for you to get new cards, which you uh, add to your deck. So it's like a, um, and then you use the cards as sort of like your attacks or your moves. And so there's a bunch of different card-based roguelike games that I've played. And mm. they're all sort of variations. The big one, the one that everybody sort of started with was like Slay the Spire.
1: And Slay it, the- it's, it's like you're talking a no language to me.
0: Uh, Just Slay the Spire was the main one, uh, the big one, the one that sort of, like, started the, kicked off the genre in a big way. I don't know if it's the first one ever, but it's the first one to really popularize all the mechanics. And then there's a bunch of different variations, because Slay the Spire is just sort of go through... Uh, and build up a deck and right if you can get lucky, the they all sort of work on the system where there tends to be like combos there tends to be strategies. And so if you get mm-hmm. lucky and you get the right set of cards, you can build something really special where they work together in a really effective way um to sort of um like a cascade of like actions yeah. and interactions so, Uh, It's like a really, really good synergy for your team, right? But it would be like if if you're playing like Survivor, but after every fight, you got one random... you got to select between three random pieces of gear, right? Or if you got lucky, you could have a really good synergy team. And if you didn't, you know, you do your best with what you got, right? You never, like, give up, but you sometimes don't get so lucky. And there's a bunch of variations on it. Um, And I I really like them. There's um, One Step from Eden, which takes the formula, but then makes it really sort of, like, a fast-paced, frenetic, like, Mega Man Battle Network style game. Right. Uh Where it really is more about the gameplay than the drafting, and the drafting is sort of what just lets you replay it over and over again. Right. And then there's, like, a bunch of others. I play Monster Train, Rogue Book. I've been... uh I, I find it a really sort of compelling genre, because you sort of feel like you've tricked the game when you get a really nice synergy. And it scratches that itch in the same way that like making like a really cool Injustice team does. Yeah. Except instead of just making them and then it's a sort of one and done, uh, you, maybe in a run, you get a couple of cards and you go, oh, these are really cool. You know what would be cool is if I had these cards and this card. And then you sort of think about it for a future run. But because each run, um, out of the entire possibility space, you, you're you sort of constrained to your, like, randomly pick between three cards options at each stage right. you have to um you know keep playing even if you know exactly what you want to do sometimes you need to keep playing a couple times to get lucky or you know you'll see a card that you weren't expecting but you go mm-hmm. oh i could probably use this and then all of a sudden it goes in a different direction it's an mm-hmm. interesting sort of like balancing like future possibility mm-hmm. uh that i actually like for a lot of the same reasons i like planning injustice but it's it's you know like idle games have sort of what they are and most games are similar and then they have Mm. sort of their own spins their own variations and it's the same with the deck building games where a lot of them are you know similar they have a really really similar core but then the variations can make them feel like totally different experiences and the amount of like effort and care into how you balance them right i think like idle games and those games are genres that because a lot of them are so similar it really stands out when somebody has an understanding and love of the genre and a good idea for where to take it
1: Mm -hmm.
0: that really makes it something special right and I think like honestly Injustice Mobile as far as a fighting game goes Mm -hmm. I think they looked at the limitations they did something really different and I think they did have some really strong ideas and did something special with it yeah right and that's why it's so enduring because they really the, the twist for Injustice Mobile is what if we took a fighting game and made it more about long-term progression, right? Because I think the sort of standard fighting game is not about long-term progression at all. The whole point is about, like, only about skill, right? right. And not about, like, acquisition of resources and the way that they've implemented getting new stuff and get, get making your guys better, right? Like, yeah, yeah. in a forever way, not, like, in a just, I'm, like, more skilled now way. Right, right. Uh, Really gave it some legs. Right. Yeah. There we go uh we actually didn't even get through all of our questions we have a, a question at the end but we'll probably save it for next we're time gonna, yeah we're gonna save it because we're we're right at the end here uh so that was our that was our ramble about games and um,
1: crystals done and the final crystals, crystal's done. done so if we finish talking before the end you will still get to see what our prize was
0: yeah yeah so uh coming up on the end here we have some stuff that we like to say to people so first off, I'd like to give a shout out to Elisa the Magic Touch Katen. She always manages to get an extra bag of plantain chips for free at the vending machine at her job. It's actually,
1: we just learned this the other day. It's pronounced plantain. Plantain. Even though it's spelled plantain.
0: I like plantain. Yeah. I'm, I'll be wrong. I'll be wrong <laughs> happily unless somebody gives me a compelling reason to be right about this. Because right. it's plantain in my head so strongly. Um, but this shout out was brought to you by probably someone who stocks the vending machines wrong who puts them too close together so that two come out at once instead of just one. But anyways, uh, we'd also like to give a huge thank you, and I'm going to give it a second just so that we can see our rewards here. There we go. Nice. Okay. Okay. Uh,
1: A huge thank you to all the wonderful folks who support us on Patreon. That would be uh, Victor Gomez, Consul Peasant, and Edwin at the top tier at Last Word. Cinemac, Mohamed Al-Shady at the Your Message Here tier. Sean Farrell, Daniel Simonson, Aaron Mall, Michael DeVries, Brandon C, Irvin Ruiz, and Eddie Du at the credited level. And Chris Wolf, Scarlett Danny, Awesome Gamer 2 for 1, Pavu R.S., Gavin Malat, and E at the gratitude level. Yeah, thank you so much for your support. We'll see you next time. Komoda. Komoda.